Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. thinking this week, and I, I wonder uh, what I would do, what you would do, if, uh, say, for instance, Warren Buffett you know, called you up and said, I'd like to give you some free financial advice. Probably take it, right? Like, that, that'd be a, a pretty sweet deal. Or, you know, my son's in his first uh, year for season trying to play basketball, and I emphasize uh, the trying part. Uh, so what would we do if, you know, LeBron James was like, hey, I'd like to, to coach your son's basketball team. Give him a, give him a few Pointers, yeah, we'd, we'd take them up on that, right? Or have you seen, uh, it's, I, have, I don't watch Jeopardy, but I've seen it in the news, Amy Schneider, uh, this person who has won, I think, 33 games of Jeopardy so far. I, I was trying to see this morning if she's done winning. Is she still going? She's done. She's got her millions of dollars from winning Jeopardy. So she like was like, hey, fill you in. You know how you can do the same thing. We'd, we'd take her up on it, right? Most of us, yeah. There's a lot of experts out there, people who, uh, if we had access to them, uh, whether it's their financial advice, their sports skill, their, their knowledge, if we had access to those people, they could absolutely change our lives with what they could teach us, how they could train us to do what they do. Problem is, keyword there is if we had access, is that word access? We, we don't. I don't have access to Amy Schneider. She's not calling me up and teaching me how to win at Jeopardy. LeBron James, certainly I'm waiting. Uh, Warren Buffett, he hasn't called. Uh, I don't have access to these people, so I can't do what they do. I can't learn what they know. Well, there's another person out there, another expert in his field. His name is Jesus. And Jesus was good at many, many things, one of which was prayer. Jesus was an expert in prayer, which is really good news for us because, one, we do have access to Jesus, and two, most of us, I would say, would probably agree we could all learn a little bit about prayer. We're not alone in this. Jesus' own disciples felt pretty inadequate, pretty inarticulate when it came to the subject of prayer. They'd, they'd been schooled in prayer since their childhood. They'd learned a myriad of Hebrew prayers that they knew when and how to pray. But when they heard Jesus praying, they realized there's something that they were missing. You know, their praying was rote. His was from the heart. Their praying was kind of erratic and uncertain. Jesus' praying was consistent and confident. Listening to Jesus pray made them hunger for more. And so one day, one very bold disciple, uh, unnamed in the Gospels, but, but remembered through history because he's the one who went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so that's what Jesus did. The prayer expert that he is, he answered this way. We're going to read today from Matthew 6. Jesus said, pray then this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. 
We looked at this prayer last week as well, and and last week we focused mostly just on the the first part of the prayer, and we allowed it to teach us generally how to pray, what kind of posture to bring into prayer. And we, we looked at how Jesus teaches us to pray intimately and expectantly and with complete surrender. That's what we talked about last week was the how. Today I want to talk more about the what. As we pray this prayer that Jesus taught, what is it that Jesus is teaching us to pray? So that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're just going to go through this prayer kind of phrase by phrase, line by line, learning what Jesus taught us to pray. But before we do that, I'm going to tell you from the outset here what your, the takeaway is. What's the application of today's message? So you, if you tune out the rest of the message, at least listen now so you know what to take away from it. And it's just simply this encouragement, this challenge that all of us, every single one of us, make a commitment to pray this prayer that Jesus taught every day this week. See if we can make that commitment to pray this prayer every day. But as you do, don't, don't rush through it. You know, in church, sometimes we just say it and we kind of, it's over before we've even realized we were saying anything. This week, commit to praying this prayer every day, but do it slowly. Kind of let your mind dwell on the phrase, phrases. See which different words or phrases capture your attention and maybe lead you to pray in your, your own words and in your own ways to offer your prayer to God. But let this prayer be your guide this week. So we're going to jump in to, to think about what it is we're praying when we pray this prayer. It starts out, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm just going to be really quick on this one because we talked about it a fair bit last week, but I just want to remind what we said last week, which is so very important, that who it is that we believe we are praying to has this powerful effect, this dramatic effect on how and what we pray. It matters who it is you think you are praying to and who that person, that God, is like. And Jesus says we begin our prayer by meditating on the fact that God is our powerful, holy, faithful, loving Father. I listened to a podcast this week in which uh, Bishop Michael Curry was being interviewed. You may know him as the Bishop of the Episcopal Church, uh, kind of a big deal, or you might know him as the pastor who married Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Either way, you're right. Uh, but he's, he's just this wonderful, refreshing, uh, inspiring person. You, you can tell he's a person of deep faith and, and, and really rooted prayer. And so the interview went a lot of different directions, but it's something that caught my ear is he talked about going to this retreat in which he learned the practice of centering prayer. It's a, it's a meditative sort of prayer, not a lot of words, actually very few. And, and in that practice of prayer, they taught them to choose a grace word. And that grace word was just a, a word that you kind of repeat over and over again, which all of us, you know, when we pray, our brains go all these different directions. And so when they do, just to choose that grace word to bring you back. A word that kind of reminds you, that centers your heart in on who God is and God's character and God's work in the world. And so as he was just sharing about that practice, I was thinking about this prayer, and I thought, what if our grace word was this opening phrase, our Father in heaven? What difference would it make if, if as, as we prayed, we simply dwelled on the fact that, that God is our Father? No matter who your earthly father was or is or what your earthly father was like, 
what, what would it do for me and for my relationship with God if I connected, if I centered my whole being in the reality that I have a heavenly Father who made me, who loves me, who watches over me? Our Father in heaven. Next, Jesus says to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seems to me this is kind of the, a center point uh, that holds kind of two parts of this prayer together. There's the beginning that starts with God, with acknowledging God, praising God, meditating on God's goodness and greatness and love. And then there's the, the second part that turns toward us, towards our needs and, and our desires. And, and both are really necessary parts of prayer, praising God, acknowledging God, and bringing our needs to God. Those, those are essential. But here, standing at the center, after we've honored God as Lord of all, before we get to asking for what we need, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is an idea that's kind of all over the Bible. If it, once you have the eyes to see it, it pops up to you all over the place. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew 6.33 says, Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard puts it this way. He says, Purity of heart is to will one thing. One thing. That one thing is delighting in the Lord. It's, as the psalmist says, it's striving first for the kingdom. As Jesus says, it's praying for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done above all else. When we seek that, when we strive after that, when we delight in that, this amazing thing happens. When we focus our minds on that one thing, all the other things come too. By God's grace, they are given to. Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. You know, as a, as a young Hebrew boy, Jesus' worldview would have been shaped most formatively by the, the stories of the Old Testament, in particular those stories that are found in the book of Exodus. He was taught about God's compassion for the suffering of his people when they were in slavery in Egypt. He learned of God's saving powers. He delivered them from slavery safely through those parted waters of the Red Sea. And he learned about God's ability to provide daily bread for his people as they journeyed through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. It's a story you can read in Exodus, and then it's repeated multiple times throughout the Old Testament. This story about how God literally made bread rain down from heaven for his people when they were in the wilderness. They called it manna, which literally means, what is it? Because when they saw it for the first time, they had no idea what it was. And so they just started to call it, what? what's that? It's bread. And God, in the story, God told them explicitly, and this is what he did. He said, I'll give you enough for every day. No more, no less. Collect what you need for that day, and that's what you'll have to eat. More is going to come tomorrow. And, and what people found when, you know, they didn't quite believe that, that what God said was true, they collected enough for that day, and then a little extra in case this what is it bread didn't show up, you know, as God promised the next day. Whatever was extra, whatever they couldn't eat on that day, it went bad. 
before they could eat it. God gave them literally daily bread. So Jesus teaches us to to pray for this. So what does that mean for us? Give us this daily bread. We who have full refrigerators and stocked pantry, how do we pray, how do we trust in the gracious provision of God the way that Jesus did? Well, for, for me, as I think about it, I think for one thing, it starts with gratitude. For our fridges are not full and our pantry stocked because we somehow deserve it or because we on our own have made that happen. The jobs that we have, the incomes that we make, the opportunities that have been afforded to us that allow us to buy the food that we have, it's all a gift. It all comes from God. So we start out by saying thank you to God for our daily bread. And then that gratitude to God then leads me to recognize my dependence on God. Every day, every moment, God has provided, God will provide again. I can trust him. Not just for my food, but for everything. In every situation, God will give me exactly what I need. You know, I've never been more aware myself of God's providing power than the summer I spent interning with uh, World Vision, an organization around the world that works most specifically with the poorest of the poor. I went and interned with them uh, in the country of Zambia in a very rural, very impoverished area of that country. And uh, when I went, in the first week, they were nice to me and uh, tried to kind of, you know, make me feel comfortable by giving me a schedule like a printed piece of paper schedule, say, here's what you're going to do, here's who you're going to meet, all of that. I learned very, very quickly that that schedule was a joke. They knew it, I knew it, they stopped printing it out after about the first week because there wasn't a way to kind of know what we were going to do, where we were going to go, what was going to be needed of me. It just was day by day, moment by moment. I, I did what I was told to do. So You know, one day, my very first Sunday there, I got pulled up with this pastor who was preaching and praying for people and laying hands on people, kind of like Benny Hinn style, and people are falling over, and he's asking me to join him in this. I'm like, "Ah, I'm Presbyterian, we don't do that. There was another day where I was out in the field with some folks, and we met a new mom. We were delivering formula to her because she was HIV positive. And so we met her and prayed with her and gave her this formula so she could feed her baby without passing on the virus to that child. Most every day, there was playing with a whole lot of kids, most of whom had at least one or both of their parents pass away because of AIDS, and so they were just happy to have somebody pay attention to them just for a minute. You know, I was there on my own for six weeks, and I learned in those six weeks to pray that prayer, give us this day our daily bread every day. And for me, that prayer came out like, God, I have no idea what this day is going to hold. I have no idea who I'm going to meet. I have no idea what I'm going to have to do. I'm not sure that if I'm asked to do it, I'm going to be able to do it. So whatever it is, you know. So give me the, give me the words. Give me the, the space. Give me whatever it is I need to do what you want me to do today. And I have to say, truly, those six weeks, they were on one hand exhausting, but they were also incredibly exhilarating because I've never felt closer to God than I did in those six weeks. 
Because the thing is, when I'm here, when, I, when I'm at home, you know, I, I generally know what every day is going to hold, right? I, I can kind of anticipate. I've got my schedule on my iPhone. I know what meetings are going to be happening and what tasks I'm going to try to accomplish. I feel generally confident that whatever's coming in my day, that I can do it. But there are moments when I think, you know, do I really? Like, do I really know everything that's going to happen in this day? Am I really in, in as much of control as I think I am? Are any of us? Like, do we really, really know what every single day is going to hold? And, and, and do we want to? Or are we willing to release that sense of control and say, God, this day is yours. Do with it as you see fit and guide me to do what you want me to do minute by minute, day by day. If we're willing, if we're open to it, our lives can have at least some of the elements of that intimate, exhilarating dependence on God that I experienced in Zambia. It can if we start out every day saying, God, give us this day our daily bread. And then we move on to, God, forgive us our debts. Theologian Neil Plantinga wrote, recalling and confessing our sin is like taking out the garbage. Once is not enough. People sometimes wonder, you know, how often do I need to confess my sin? Well, better question is how often do you sin? My three-year-old daughter, Margaret, has developed this wonderful, kind of hilarious, very obvious habit of when she's about to do something wrong, she'll say to us, either me or Dave, she'll say, close your eyes. Don't look at me. Don't look at me for 10 minutes. And then she'll just start counting while she's literally like climbing up into the refrigerator or whatever it is she's choosing to do. She says, don't look at me. You know, isn't that what we all say to God at a certain level? That's the real sinner's prayer. Don't look at me, God. God, I want to indulge my temper. God, don't look at me. God, I, I, I want to ignore the poor. Don't look at me. I want to indulge this appetite or give less than my best at work or, or deceive this person or vent on this email. God, don't look at me. You're doing wrong means we have to kind of separate ourselves from God a little bit, and we do it, all of us, every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And then we wonder why it feels like God's so far away. So every day we pray, God, forgive us our debts. It's a good prayer to pray at night when you're kind of thinking over the events of the day. God, where, where did I miss the mark? Where did I choose to do things my way instead of your way? Where did I offend you, God? And where did I possibly offend others? What do I need to do to set things right again? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That little word as can kind of strike fear in our hearts sometimes. People ask, rightly so, are we actually asking God to forgive us in the same way, in the same measure that we're forgiving others? Because if I'm honest, I'm not so sure that's what I want. Because I'm not so sure I'm all that good at forgiving others. Because forgiveness is hard. It's really hard. We have and we will again pre preach whole sermons just on that very topic. But 
What I'll say for this is, as I pray this prayer, more often than not, my prayer is, God, help me want to forgive others. Give me the desire, give me the ability to forgive others. Help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. Next phrase is, do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. It's really interesting to me in this prayer, Jesus prays for us, or he instructs us to pray that we would not have to go through what he went through. Does this make sense? Jesus is saying, you you need to pray that you don't experience what I have already experienced, because Jesus has already experienced this at this point. If you read about it in all three out of the four Gospels, there's a story where Jesus entered into a time of trial and was tempted by the evil one. He went through this. After his baptism, the scripture tells us he was sent out into the wilderness. He was there for 40 days, fasting and praying. And at the end of it, he was hungry, understandably. He was weak. At that moment of his greatest hunger, his deepest weakness, that's when the evil one came to tempt him. And so there's a couple of takeaways for us here. One, which we Presbyterians need to be reminded of sometimes, that there is an evil one. There is a power, a presence of evil in this world working against the good and life-giving purposes of God. We don't know a lot about him, but what we do know Jesus has told us. Jesus said that, that he, being Jesus, Jesus came that he might, we might have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus said that there is an evil one who works against that, one who comes to steal and to kill and destroy. So that's just an important lesson, number one. There is an evil one. And second, in his attempts to steal, to kill, to destroy, this evil one's pretty sneaky. He sidles on in to tempt us. And where he finds a really easy place to do that is in those spaces where we're weak, where we are hungry, in those times when we're really, really tired, when we're depleted and at the end of our rope. Sometimes Satan sneaks in. And how we tempted Jesus in the desert, well, he uses those same tactics on us. He, he plays to our desires to have, our desires to feel, and our desire to be. See, Jesus was tempted, and we are tempted to have, to get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, the moment that we want it, whether it is good for us or not. We don't need to depend on God for things. We know what we want. And we're going to take it because yeah, we deserve it, right? We all have this temptation to have. Jesus was tempted, and we are tempted to feel. Oh, that phrase, you only live once. Go big or go home. You are what you feel, and so if it feels good, it must be good, regardless of what God says, not considering who it hurts. We're all tempted to feel. And Jesus was tempted, and we are tempted to be, to be admired, to be in charge, to be the one with all the power. You may have to step on a few people to get their sherbet, cut a few corners, but, you know, the ends justify the means, right? We are all tempted. Jesus was tempted. We are tempted to have, to feel, to be. And Jesus said, pray that you don't have to face it. 
pray that you would be allowed not to enter into that time of trial, that we would be rescued from the evil one. And I think he's praying this because having gone through it himself, Jesus knows, hey, you know what? (laughs) It's really hard. And for the most part, you're going to fail. Like Jesus made it through, but, but he knows that, that we might not. So his advice is pray that you don't experience it at all. So how do we pray that? Well, I think, it, honestly, it, it requires a lot of honesty and a whole lot of humility. Saying to God, God, you know I'm, I'm, I'm weak. I like to think I'm strong. I like to imagine I can handle anything that comes my way, but it's not true. I can't. And if I try to live that way, I'm going to be tempted in some way, shape, or form, and, and, and in all likelihood, I'm going to fail. So Jesus, since I am weak, you be strong. Give me what I need. Fill me with your goodness. Tell me who I am so I don't have to go out seeking those things somewhere else. Do not bring us into the time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, and interestingly, that's where Jesus' prayer ends. We're the ones, a few years later, who added that very lovely line, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. It's, it's lovely. It kind of brings you back where you started praising God, and never a bad thing to do. But that's how we end today. But before we end, I want to add, add one last thing, one really important detail of this prayer. And that is, if you notice, every single supplication of the prayer, everything we ask of God, it's in the plural. Do you notice that? Our Father, give us this day. Forgive us. Lead us. And what that tells me in is what's really, really important is we're not meant to do any of this stuff alone. We're not meant to pray alone. We're not meant to live alone. We need other people to pray with. We need other people to pray for. We need other people to pray for us if we're going to pray this prayer the way Jesus intended. Because here's the thing. There will be a day, maybe even today, where you feel like, I got everything I need. I'm good. Well, quite certainly there is somebody in your life, and absolutely there are a whole lot of people in the world who don't have everything they need, who aren't good. And so on the days that you feel like you got what you need, great, give thanks to God, and then pray for the people who don't. There are people in your life who need to be forgiven and who need to forgive, and we know that forgiveness is so hard, and so some of us sometimes, we need somebody else to come alongside us and pray for us, pray for our ability to forgive. And I'll tell you very, very clearly, Jonathan and I, we need people to be praying for us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I mean, it feels like at least once a month, you see a story about there about some ministry leader, some pastor who succumbs to some kind of temptation. And when they do, it ruins it. It ruins their lives. It destroys their church. And so pastors, I will tell you, pastors need people to be praying for them. And not just us. Your friends need your prayers. Your your kids need your prayers. Your neighbors need your prayers. None of us can withstand the temptation that we face on our own. So you already have your takeaway for this week. 
pray the prayer that Jesus taught at least once a day this week. And don't rush through it. Fill each phrase with your words, your thoughts, your desires. And know that when you do, you are joining this wonderful, beautiful, great chain of prayer that reaches back century after century with across cultures and languages and civilizations. Literally millions, billions of people have prayed this prayer over the ages, and it hasn't stopped since Jesus first uttered those words 2,000 years ago until this very day.